America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. I wake up every morning. They help try to take care of them and get them to another day, another week, another month, another year that, that, that suffer major injuries on the battlefield. That's what I wake up every morning to do. Tom's American Story. Welcome, podcast friends, to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest is Thomas Capel. This man is phenomenal. I recently was able to read his bio, and he has accomplished such a great deal in his life. It blew me away, and I cannot wait for him to share his story. Tom, it is an honor to have you here today. Thank you, Tina, and thanks for that great introduction. And um, and I, I'm just thrilled to be here with you and 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 kind of share the American story with as many people as we possibly can to make sure that they understand what a great honor we have by living in the United States of America. That's exactly my goal. Let's begin. Where does your story start? Well, it started back in 1958. I was born in a very poor community um, in North Carolina, a little place we call Ellaby. Uh, growing up in life, my mom dropped out of school, I think in the fourth, fifth grade because both her parents died. And um, the family was nine people in the family, brothers and sisters. Uh, so my mom, the baby, out of, out of all, and she was like in the fourth, fifth grade, but all the kids had to drop out uh, of school to, um, to go to work. And um, uh, one, take care of the family, feed the kids and whatever they need to do because the bread winners had died, um, my grandfather and um, my grandma. So um, they all dropped out of school, but one thing that she would never let us do as her kids, she would never ever let us talking about dropping out of school to go to work. She made sure that we got up every day, got dressed. Um, clothes may have not been new clothes, but they were clean clothes. And we went to school every day, my brother and I. And she had a hard time, but both of us finally graduated school. Uh, my brother joined the Army first. Yeah, he did six years. and. Had, had a couple rough spots in his career. Um, so after talking to him for a while, he decided to get out and, and uh, start becoming uh, a chef, working at a, a restaurant there in Elevate, popular restaurant, and a very good cook. So he cooked most of his life, and, and I joined the military uh, probably two years after he did. I was going to college, um, Richmond Technical College at the time, to uh, study law enforcement. Kind of ran out of money, working on the side as a diesel mechanic. Uh, kind of ran out of money, so I went to see the, uh, the recruiter. And um, he showed me some films and showed me some uh, stuff and said, uh, I can get you in the Army uh, tomorrow. 
So I took a little test, uh, passed my pre-test, and about 30 days later, you know, he, he said tomorrow, but 30 days later, I was at uh, Charlotte, North Carolina at the MEP station and um, had my right hand up on the, in the air, sworn on the Constitution, protecting and defend. And um, I never looked back. It was a great honor to be um, in a service. Did you or your brother, were you, the, were you the first ones to join the military in your family? Was there a history of that at all? Uh, we, we was the first ones. Brother joined first. Um, now, as far as back as I know, I know my grandfather, great-great-grandfather, uh, you know, we kind of sit on there and kind of talk about some of that history, but I'm still kind of lost with a lot of that history as it was growing, uh, as we grow older. So uh, now I can kind of sit on there and, and they can say, well, your grandpa's papa and their mom, they was here and they did this, they did that. But a lot of people growing up in that time, life was kind of hard for them. And it just wasn't my family. It was millions of families that they had um, hard times. So, but, uh, you know, by the grace of God, we all uh, move forward. And, and we sitting here today in a better place. I see on your bio, 82nd Airborne. Yes, ma'am. Why does that unit have... Because when you think of Airborne, you think of the 82nd Airborne, don't you? Why does that unit have such a reputation? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the 82nd Airborne Division is a a quick movement operation division. Right now, we got uh, units on 82nd Airborne Division that can be loaded up on a plane in 18 hours, ready to deploy anywhere in the world. With following operations, uh, we'll have 20,000 plus soldiers jumping in to any place that we think they are, are trying to cause harm to the United States of America, our people. And uh, the, the good thing about those guys, they move so fast and, um, and, and they are there ready to protect the freedom of the American people. I started there in the 82nd Airborne Division and um, 1978, and I I was lucky to uh, kind of accumulate uh, about 26 years of service there in the 82nd Airborne Division over my 37 years. How do you get so, attached to that? Do they assign you? Do you say I want to jump out of planes? How does that work? No, it, you can re-enlist. Uh, I, I enlisted for the 82nd Airborne Division, and that comes with a series of things. You go to your basic training, you have to pass that. You have to go to your advanced training, you have to pass that. Then you have to go to jump school, and you have to pass jump school. And that's down at Fort Benning, Georgia. You make a three-week course, and uh, you make five jumps, and uh, they'll sign you to the second. My career started uh, right there in the 82nd Airborne Division, and uh, I just love it when I got there, and people were well, why are you jumping out that damn airplane? Ain't going to land? <laughs> you know, a lot of those airplanes, and uh, I've been on a two that caught a fire, but, you know, it's still land. Those aircrafts is uh, made pretty tough. Uh, and and they uh there to get the troops where they need to go. So uh, mechanical problems, yeah, you're going to have mechanical problems just like you have a mechanical problems with a car. But um, when they get up there and they open those doors and, um uh, and, and they say go. Uh, you see uh, 
100, 200 paratroopers jumping out that door in, in a matter of minutes. And, and, and when we jump out, we got everything we need to fight and survive. That means our bullets, our food, our, our rations, our equipment and sleeping stuff, rucksacks. How much weight do you have on you when you're jumping out? Well, if you recall back into places like uh, Panama, Delta Storm, Delta Shield, I think they weighed those rucksacks, our Alice packs, and, and, and they was running somewhere around six or five, seven pounds. And, and that, I mean, you count, you count everything you got in there. You got to, your bullets you got to fight with. You got to have it on the battlefield. Uh, you might have some, maybe a radio. You might have some special need equipment uh, once you get on the, on the um, ground. So all that stuff is um, tagged on us, and, and that's what we have. And we sustain that for uh, up to 72 hours before we start getting all our other equipment in. Our mission is to jump in and clear our airfield uh, for continuing follow-on operation. That, that means we'll clear that airfield for large tanks, other vehicles, medical supplies, food, ration, water, and all that stuff so it can airland. So they can't do that until that airfield is cleared. And uh, we'll go in and we'll clear the airfield and uh, make sure that we can have it ready for continuous operations. Does it take an adrenaline junkie to want to do something like that? I don't uh, know that it's everybody wants to jump out of a plane. Just the thought of that absolutely terrifies me. <laughs> well, it's it's not a, a drilling, but you know, you know, my first jump, I, I wouldn't sit here and lie and say, uh, well, I'm getting ready to jump on an airplane. And my blood didn't go up and I didn't start thinking about it twice. What am I doing? But uh, after you finish the five jumps, it's a set of pride, a joy, uh, uh, walking around with jump wings on, saying I'm airborne and I can jump out of aircraft safely. So after a while there, you know, you, you kind of get used to that. And I, I know one day I jumped five times. Ah. I, yeah, just go up and get another shoot jump, go up, get another shoot jump. And they call them what we call here in 80 seconds. Sometimes we had the fun jump days. And as long as you can hit the ground, pack your chute, go get another, put it on there, put you back in another aircraft, and you can jump again. Is that first jump, though, absolutely terrifying? Uh, it was kind of scared and rough. But, you know, the good thing with us, all of our instructors are truly professional experts. And they will feel pretty bad if something happened to you. That means they didn't do their job right. Right. So they take it personal when they are uh, teaching you how to jump out of these aircraft and how to rig stuff and the safety precautions and all the stuff that goes along with it. And um, they, they take it pretty bad. The same as me because I was, I, I'd never been a jump instructor, but I was a drill sergeant. And uh, I've seen those young guys and girls come through basic training. Uh, and I have to look at those young guys and girls if they was my own kids. But I got to train them to be tough. So when they go out here and have to do these tough things, that they are mentally fit and physically tough to do it. So um, we, it, it's not a cakewalk, but at, at no point in my military career have I ever went out or nobody else went out there and say, I'm a person that hurt this person today. And, and that, that's not what we do. Uh, it, it's our job to give them the best 
professional training we possibly can to set them up for success as they continue their career. Well, you know, that's that's interesting because I that was the next line of questioning I was going to pursue is your time as a drill sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> drill sergeants sometimes aren't very liked, are they? No. But that's your job, right? <laughs> no, we, we're not liked, but uh, we, got, we have eight weeks that change a personal life from where they came from to start thinking like, a soldier and you know you might talk back to your mom but you're not going to talk back to me and you're not going to talk back to nobody in the military when they tell you to do something that's what we do you might tell your dad some things but you ain't going to tell me that the only thing you're going to tell me is yes and no drill start that's it but you you get them a young recruit at an early stage and as as soon as they catch on the better things would be for them for their military career. I mean, a whole military career. I was shocked when I went to basic training. I, I, man, who is this guy? I think, you know, it looked at me like he hated my guts and I never met him. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess it's going to be like this for eight weeks. But uh, actually what he was doing is he was prepping me for the future. What and, was the hardest um, part of basic training for you? I, I really didn't have a whole lot of hard stuff to do. I grew up in the country. I walked by everywhere I had to go. I worked on a farm, so my upper body strength, I could run. Uh, we played sports then outside. We didn't, we didn't stay in the house with computers and stuff. But uh, I really didn't have a whole lot of challenging stuff in basic training other than trying to adapt to where they wanted me to be and where I was at. I, I grew up pretty disciplined. I, I mean, I, I, I got popped in the mouth if I didn't say yes, ma'am, and no, sir. Yes, sir, and no, no ma'am. I, I mean, my mom didn't play that. If I do something wrong and somebody else see me doing it, uh, I get a beating by them, but when I get home, I get another spanking by my mom. And, and we just didn't do that down there. It's just the way you was raised and, and respect for people. And, and kind of understand people's and your way of life. Has the role of a drill sergeant changed what you can and what you can't do through the years? I would say yes and no. A drill sergeant's mission is to train young recruits to become soldiers. That's it. That, that's, that's all they have to do. Where we get in trouble is what we call sometimes abusive power. Those young recruits are, majority of them is afraid to death of that drill sergeant. He come around and he got that cap on, that round brown hat, and they start shaking and shaking and like, okay, you're going to be afraid for a while. But later on during the training, you'll find out I'm not that big, bad, mean guy. And you'll find out that my only job here is to train you to be a soldier. So uh, it's, it's some loosened things out there that we had to go back and look at. Uh, and about power, abusive power. And, and just like I said, those trainees, I look at them just like my kids. I'm not going to hurt my kids. And I wouldn't hurt your kids because I know how much you love them. And I, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to let no, none of my other drill sergeants or leaders do it either. So um, that, that kid got a mom and dad somewhere. 
and a brother and sister to love them just like we love our kids. So it's not our job to abuse them and hurt them and, and harass them. It's our job to take care of them and train them to be a soldier and hopefully the best soldier. Here we are, let's see, Afghanistan and Iraq, right? Once to Iraq, mm -hmm. five times to Afghanistan. That's right. Is that pretty standard to be deployed that many times? We, we have some guys and girls that goes back and forth. Got asked by some great leaders right after coming back off the battlefield from Afghanistan, um, could I go back with them? And I, I would never tell them no. I would never tell them no. And um, for me, I felt if I was on the battlefield, I can kind of help get some of our guys and girls back home to their mom and dad, wife, husband, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters alive. I, and that was my focus. And um, I, I was hard on, on discipline because a disciplined uh, soldier will go to the battlefield, do what they have to do, and they return home. An undisciplined soldier will go to the battlefield and do everything that they don't supposed to do and not pay attention to some of the things they should be paying attention to when there's somebody out there trying to hurt them. And maybe get themselves hurt or injured or killed or someone else, right? And someone else, yeah, absolutely right. So I was a big fan of discipline will get you to the battlefield and discipline will get you back home to your family. So don't cut that short because when that plane lands back here at Fort Bragg, I want you to get off there and go kiss your wife, your husband, hug your sons and daughters. I don't want them standing out there and you're not there. And I have to go up and explain to them why I didn't bring you back home. So um, I was very hard on it. A lot of my troops didn't like it, but um, they come back home, they call me names, but that's okay. <laughs> They're alive to call you names, right? Well, and they home. <laughs> Stay home. So I accomplished my mission. I got my job done and my whole goal was get them back home. So it's okay. I'm okay now. Were you then ever on the, I guess there aren't front lines, but did you see things that you still carry today? How do you deal with that? Well, that's one of my uh, other functions in life. I work with a foundation. I don't know if it's on that bio. Yeah. And that's the sole reason why I started working with them because our foundation takes care of post 9-11 men and women that was hurt or severely injured on the battlefield. And yeah, I've seen things on the battlefield that, that totally wasn't good. I visit Monterey Affairs often because that was my soldier sellers. I have my Marines in there. And I just want to make sure that uh, we pay out for honor respect. I stood behind more aircrafts than I can name uh, sending our men and women back home, not the way we carried them. The flag have a special place in my heart, our United States flag, because that United States flag is the last thing I saw 
draped over those coffins, bringing our men and women home. That flag is the last thing we get to give to the next of kin and say on the behalf of a grateful nation, we thank you for the honor and faithful service rendered by your Lord boy. So I don't play with the flag. If I see the flag, you will see me standing. You will see me saluting. You will see my hands over my heart. I don't play with the American flag because it have done so much for our men and women that are serving on the battlefield that some people would never imagine. I recently spoke to a gold star widow. Her name is Jenny Taylor. She lives here in Utah. And one of the things that she mentioned, and you speaking about this made me think about it, is she said that she really fears when the greatest generation have all passed because she thinks, and I can see that, that it is the last time that as a country, we've all had to sacrifice something. And when you're talking about the flag and the men and women who have died for our country and that flag, many people don't see that sacrifice, do they? And they don't understand. Do you think there's a disconnect today? Well, you know, hindsight was 2020. When it don't affect you, you don't worry about it. If I can live here peacefully in the United States of America every day, didn't have to worry about where I'm going to go, how I'm going to get there, and where I'm going to eat at, and uh, what I got planned for the day and tomorrow and next week there, then I probably wouldn't get it either. But there's a lot of men and women out there every day that's standing on the front line to protect freedom for the American people to do whatever they want to do. And, and we don't want the American people worrying. I never wanted nobody sitting back home worrying about can they go to the restaurant and eat. I don't want mom and dad, grandpa worrying about can I get on this plane safely and fly and see my grandkids. I don't ever want them to worry about it. I want you to go to the airport, get your ticket, get on the plane, and go where you want to go. If you want to go to a restaurant and eat, if you want to go on vacation, go. If you want to go to a basketball game, football game, go. That, that's the only thing I cared about. And, and my, my guys and girls on the battlefield, as long as they family was home and taken care of, they was okay. They was okay. And that's the only thing that I want to see when I come home. I want to see the American people carrying on with their life the way they're supposed to. Now, there's many sacrifices out there that our guys and girls have to endure every day. And, and sometimes some of the people that talks about it, they never seen 10 coffins on the back of an aircraft with a flag dripped over it, sending them home. Those 10 coffins got 10 remains in it. Those 10 remains got 10 families back here. And, and I, I would tell you how, how things got in the right perspective. In 2012, December 31st, I was on the battlefield in Afghanistan. And um, I got a Red Cross message saying my mom passed away. The weather was bad, the runways, ice, snow, couldn't get out. And I'm laying in my room 
just thinking like anybody else. What if I was there? Would she be okay? If I would have brought her to my house, would she been okay? If I, uh, all these things going through my mind, but my commander, General Dunford, he came and asked me. We had a major attack down at one of our fire bases, Leatherneck. And he says, Sergeant Major, you're my battle buddy, and I feel like I'm responsible for taking care of you. You know we had an attack down at Leatherneck, and I know you just lost your mom. But I would like to ask you to go down to Leatherneck with me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I sat there and I said, well, my mom just passed and I was feeling sorry for myself and I, I just wanted to kind of sit here in my room. But I looked up and said, uh, okay, sir. But when I got on there, I find out that was the best decision I probably have ever made in my life. I'm feeling sorry for my mom that I had for uh, 77 years. But this Lieutenant Colonel got killed and he had three daughters, two, four, and six. And I'm sitting up there feeling sorry for myself, but here's three girls that would never see their father again. And you talk about how you put things in the right perspective. And I, I, I said, Dan, I am grateful for the time that I had with my mom, and but I, I, I've, my heart is on the ground for those little girls and that family back there. So I, I said that to say this, we go through things on the battlefield, but we still have to get up in the morning and, and do our job because we got the whole United States of America that's behind us for us to get it right. So um, I just want to share that with you. And that's some of the things we go through on the battlefield as leaders. That's a nice segue into the sacrifice that families make. Mm -hmm. Your wife was in the military as well. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you meet her in the military? Uh, I did. I did. I got signed to Fort Bragg and I, um, seen her and thought it was just like the first girl I've seen in my life. I said, wow. <laughs> but she didn't think I was the first guy she ever seen. <laughs> it took a little convincing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She, she just, uh, I spoke to her. She didn't speak back and <laughs> I talked to her. I tried to talk to her. She wouldn't talk back. But uh, sooner later, you know, I guess, um, she said, okay, we'll go out. Uh, so we went out a couple of times and, and went out a couple more times and, and, um, she's a very hard worker. How long was she, did she serve? She, she stayed there 24 years and, and that's during the time, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan back and forth. So we, I, I think we were separated about five, six years because when she was home, I was gone and we had two teenage boys, 14, 15. That's an incredible strain on the entire family. Oh, yeah. So we had her mom here. Uh, she's Filipino. She had her mom here from the Philippines watching the kids. And um, I called home one day and she said, Thomas, I think I need a battery for my car. And I said, why do you need a battery for your car? She said she let the boys drive it. 
and they she think they killed the battery. And all kind of thousand wheels start going on in my head because none of them kids have driving license. <laughs> and you're thinking, let's back up for a minute here. I was too confused to back up. I, I couldn't wait to get my wife on the phone. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Your mom not to give them kids that key to their car. So uh, we got her better, but the kids, they just lost out. So. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Colonel Gatson, who I had as a guest that uh, Tom is friends with, he mentions in the podcast about how how hard it can be on families and how people will ask him, you know, how are you doing? But they never ask about his family. Yeah. When you and your wife were both serving, how how did the boys handle that? Oh, uh, they they was um okay, but you know you it, it's it's like my life now. Thirty seven years in the military, I can't even start telling you how much of that life I miss from my family and my kids growing up, seeing them growing up. I mean. I got here for graduation, which was good, and uh, a couple other special occasions. But, you know, uh, the birthdays, you're gone. Christmas, you're gone. The Thanksgivings, you're gone. The vacations, you're gone. And, and it kind of wears on the kids. But, you know, I, I knock on wood because they, they, they kind of grew up there to be uh, very good, well-respected kids. One of the sons is in Georgia doing very well. I they work for a big landscaping company. Uh, and my other son uh, is here working in the bakery with me and his mom. And I'm glad he's there because he um, he helps out a lot in there. My daughter, who was uh, in a bad car accident. I uh, saw that on your Facebook page. Yes. Yeah. How awful. Uh, yeah. So she's still home and, and can't really go anywhere because the pain is still still there. She broke her neck and oh. left arm almost pulled off, broke her hips and pelvis, skin graft, knees, oh. legs. So she's she's still in a lot of pain. And um and she's in Georgia. So um my wife and I is in the middle of moving now, so I got boxes all over the house. You're moving down yeah. to Georgia? No, we moved to Pinehurst, North Carolina. Oh, okay. All right. I was thinking, what, you're going to move the bakery with you? <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we, uh, we moved to Pinehurst. I'm a big golfer, and um, I love golf. So Pinehurst is the, like the golf capital of the world. There you go. And I could go out there any time of day and, and get a golf club and, and hit a few golf balls. But my daughter's doing doing better, but as soon as we get in our house, she'll, she'll come back up here and oh, stay gotcha. with us one or two and make sure everything is okay there. You were awarded several medals. I, I mean, so many, I can't even mention them all, but like the Bronze Star, the Legion of Merit, the Army Commendation Medal, the National Defense Medal, and so on and so forth. You have a chest full of them. Are there any that mean more to you than others? I didn't. Um, I didn't stand in the military for medals. I, I mean, they they all good, and and it, it's it's the people that shows their recognition for what you do, your hard work. But um, 
there's not one of those awards on my chest or one of the stripes on my shoulders that I did by myself. I had thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women that got up every morning just like I did. And the only thing we got to do is just guide them in the right direction. And they will make or break your unit, your organization, uh, your workplace, uh, and it turn out exactly what you want it to be. I didn't, I didn't have problems in the military with discrimination. I didn't have problems in the military with soldiers doing things they didn't supposed to do. Uh, you know, I told them what they had to do. This is the standards. This is what we got to do. And this is how we're going to do it. So don't stir from there because you're making me mad. And I, I don't think they want to see me mad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You seem like such a gentle soul. I can't even imagine you as a drill <laughs> sergeant, uh, but I guess you have to play the part, right? Play the part there. And those guys, they when they come in there and they see, uh, God, I don't want to be with this guy because he gets you. <laughs> But you know, the good thing, uh, Tina, what you see after a while, you see some of those same recruits come up to you later on in your life and they say, you was my drill sergeant. That, that's like one proud moment. And these kids got sorry first class on them. They don't went to off the candidate school and they, they captors, they majors. I mean, it, it means so much to you when you see the success that you had an impact on somebody's life. And, and they, they, were, they would come right up there and tell you, say, uh, and, and soon later I tell them age, but right now I got a colonel who was uh, one of my cadets when I taught ROTC at Georgia Tech. Wow. And yeah, now he's an 06. And he said, <laughs> sorry. So I'm a little old now. His next rank is general. And I mean, it's just such, such a proud moment in your life that you uh, had an impact on somebody's life that they refuse to make you embarrassed. They won't embarrass themselves because they know I'd probably be upset. And they, they get up every morning and go do what they have to do because they don't want you to be upset or disappointed with them. You know, it's, it's just a great time in your life to to be a part of that. So with the medals, with the advancements, it's not a one man deal. It's no. everyone working together. Everyone. I, I never said I or me. I said we. We are all in it together. We're gonna protect each other's back. We're gonna get to where we need to get to and we're gonna do it the right way. I want your family to be proud of you. I want the American people to be proud of you. And I want when the people see you in uniform that they say thank you for your service. Uh, we had some hard times in our military career and, and you know, coming back from Vietnam and uh, a couple other things that we had going on. But, you know, that generation made it better for the next generation. That generation out there, they made it better for them. They just keep going. And we're gonna continue to do it. We got a, a, a great force. Uh, military force that opens up the door every day to do the American business. And we're going to protect our people to the fullest. And, and, and it may cause us to get hurt. It may cause injury. Or it may cause death. But we're going to protect the American people.
You retired in 2014 and you have not rested on your laurels. You've kept going. You and your wife have a fun bakery, Nothing Bunt Cakes, which I bet most of us have heard of. But also on top of that, you have other things that you are actively doing with the military. Tell us a little bit about your shirt again. Oh, I, I worked for uh, the Freddy's Two First Foundation, and most of the golfers out there know Dave Freddy. He's a broadcaster on the Golf Channel. And he asked the founder of the foundation, what can he do in the golf uh, arena to help give back to our men and women that serve in our country or have served and got injured? Dave Freddy is a, is a great, great man, and his whole family is. Um, but around him, we also got connected with um, George Strait. Oh. Uh, he do a golf event every year for our troops, raise $1.5 million, which goes back into the foundation to help our men and women that was injured on the battlefield and, and those that weren't, those that was having a hard time. Uh, Tom Watson, who's a pro golfer, who, who comes, he came to Fort Bragg, and you'll love this. He jumped with the Golden Knights. and. Uh, and he loved it and he want to come back and do it not in a million years <laughs> this, we this girl is terrified of heights not in a million yeah, we, we'll keep talking about that but uh sooner or later you might call and say can you get me a tandem jump with the golden knights and i say yeah i can but uh those guys uh with our foundation and uh our, our mission is to kind of help guys and girls move forward in their life post 9-11 that was injured on the battlefield. And we have four initiatives. Uh, we built, we got seven houses up in Riverdale, Maryland that we build for guys and girls who's receiving medical treatment at Walter Reed, but that's up there. We got a dog program, my service dogs. It, it's here to help our wounded guys and girls move forward to life. Brenda Morocco was like the first quadruple amputee, missing both arms, both legs. And, and, you know, we, you kind of ask why did I get up every day? Brandon is one of the reasons why I get up every day. But I got a hundred more, a thousand more out there that, that calls and, you know, sorry, Major, how you doing today? Um, I'm doing good. How you doing? Um, but they just, about three or four years ago, they did a two-arm transplant on Brandon Morocco. So we have two arms to work. Pretty good. They haven't started on his legs yet, of course they, but uh, he, he's doing good. Uh, Matt Bradford is a, uh, is a Marine, blind, missing both legs. And he called and said, um, I'd like to go to, back to Afghanistan. And that's another one I initiated, the Operation Prop Exit. We take these guys and girls that want to go back uh, to the battlefield, close that chapter in their life, we take them back and spend about seven days on the battlefield, moving around the battlefield. If we can get back to the place where they were blowed up at, we do. We take them to the medical center where they were treated at. But those guys and girls got blowed up. Most of them got put in induced comas, and they never remember leaving the battlefield. They remember going, but not leaving. So we take them back and kind of walk back those steps and bring them home the same way we carried them. We we um, been doing that since 2008. The founders have, and I joined the team in 2014, and we just continue to 
take guys and girls back. It's a little harder now because of the, the coronavirus or the pandemic. Um, it's a little harder because of the size of the troops footprint on, in Afghanistan on the battlefield now. But as soon as everything kind of lighten up, I think we can probably get another crew back. And, and we got a long list of guys and girls who just want to go back and close that chapter. And our last initiative is Warrior Call. It's geared around uh, suicide. And the only thing we ask men and women to do is make a call to your battle buddy or somebody you know that may be having a hard time. Uh, if they call you, take that call and kind of see what's wrong with them. And, and above all, just be honest. Uh, if you're having a hard day, just say, I'm having a hard day. And, you know, we get those calls. But if I can get a guy, girl, they call now. If I can get a guy, girl, to give me a couple hours, I can have somebody at their house or somebody with them to sit there and, and kind of tell us what actually is going on in their life. And, and you know better than I do. Sometimes it's America. Sometimes it's finance. Sometimes it's people don't understand you. Or you got yourself in some trouble downtown, and, and, and now you think that ending your life is the best solution. But if we can sit down and talk with them, we have uh, counselors, we have lawyers, uh, we have accounting. Uh, I mean, people that sit down there and kind of help them get the finance and everything back right. And they'll tell you, uh, well, my, my wife left me. Well, she didn't leave just because she wanted to leave. What did you do? And, and you kind of start milling into business, but I can't get your wife or husband back. You have to do that. But there's something going on in there that your wife or husband can't deal with anymore in your life or in her life. So once you sit down there and talk to the counselor and see if you can rub some of that stuff over, then maybe somewhere down the road you can have your family back. But you're going to have to put some work in it too. It's, it's worth it. It's 100% worth it. On the carpet stuff we do every day, somebody called and ain't got no tires, uh, had a break in or water damage the house and the insurance won't pay, uh, ain't got no food. So we go around and, and, and kind of help put some food in the refrigerator for the kids. But sooner or later, we get to a point where we start helping them with their finance and responsibility. It, it keeps us kind of busy out there, but it's, it's worth it. Tom, you mentioned about taking these wounded warriors back to the battlefield. And I have spoken to two of those wounded warriors, Greg Gatson, who you know, Travis Vendella. Both of them are double amputees. And the thing that amazes me, and I am guessing that you've experienced the same thing. And I hesitate. I kind of see how the interview goes before I ask them. But with both of them, I asked, was the sacrifice worth it? And I know you know what the answer was for both of them. Well, Tina, when you see um, a group of terrorists hijack planes and run them into our towers, where innocent people is working every day, they hijacked the plane and they crashed in the fields of Pennsylvania because some strong people in there rousted it down to the ground. They took that plane 
and crash into the pen. I'm gonna tell you, I never ever want to see the American people with those tears in their eyes again. I don't ever want to see it. That was a bad day for the United States of America. And and yeah, all the things I went through on the battlefield, everything that I, all the deployments, and, and now here trying to give back to the guys and girls, it's worth it, 100%. And I, I, I get up every morning hoping that I can make somebody's life better every day. My wife is here and she know what we do every day. And 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 somebody call her, she's going to be right there for them. Uh, regardless of the bakery, regardless of what we got going on, regardless of all this other stuff that, regardless of golf, I, I mean, I throw the clubs away to take care of Warrior and make sure those guys and girls uh, is getting what they need. But um, it, it's, um, it's hard sometimes, and especially when you sit down there and you listen to those guys and girls story and, 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 and you kind of hearing their voice that they're giving up hope. And, and now I got to figure out how I get them through the day, how I get them through tomorrow, how I get them through this week and next month, and then hopefully we can get them through another year and start trying to see how they build their life back. But they, they go through some things in life that you can't even imagine right I, I can't even imagine i can't even imagine i get up in the morning i got two legs i walk to the bathroom i walk and get food i get water out the refrigerator i go get in my car but what they have to do to get up just to get up is it, it, things that a lot of people would never know you know the most powerful thing i keep going back to greg because <laughs> He is so remarkable, isn't he? And the most powerful thing that he said in his um, episode, I asked him if it was hard getting used to his prosthetics, learning how to use them. And he said, what's hard? Hard is what you label. It is what it is. And it, like, oh my gosh, yeah. that man's focus and his determination about life is, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I'm a, I got another great warrior. As a matter of fact, I, I got a lot. Um, Matt Bradford. I think what we're doing right now, Tom, is so important because I don't think a lot of people get it. I think we just, we don't understand. And it's vitally important, at least it is to me, that we understand what it takes to keep America free. Oh yeah, 100%. And just like you said, Colonel Gaston. Hey, I normally see him at a function up in DC called Association of the United States Army. They used to do a convention up there every year. And, um, and it's amazing because when he rolled his wheelchair in there, Everybody just yelled around him. It's like I can totally see that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you look over, you see two hundred people over there in a line. You're like, oh, there's Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now you stand over here by yourself because I was over there. He's hey, hey, sorry, major, hey, sorry, major. And, you know, we get to talk a lot, uh -huh. but uh, it's just amazing though the crowd that he grows uh, draws when he go places. He just 
amazing speaker, talker, motivator. Oh my gosh. You know, when I spoke to him, he, he gave me his address and yeah. he said, if you are ever up this way, <laughs> come on by. Yeah. Same here. We, we're going to, we're going to get you connected with, uh, Matt Bradford, I'll tell you a little short story about Matt. But oh, please do. I just, I want to be respectful of your time, but no, I could sit here and talk to you all day. I have a lot of respect for you, and I hope you know that. Well, thank you. Well, we carried Matt Bradford back to Afghanistan, and Matt Bradford, he's blind. And he, he says, Sergeant Major, you don't have to worry about me being on time. I'll be on time for everything. So he was normally the first one out the building, sitting out there, ready to go, ready to load the trucks, ready to fly away, wherever you're going. He was always there, and he's blind. So I'm sitting outside one day talking with him, and uh, he said, Sergeant Major, you on Facebook? I said, uh, yeah. He said, you mind if I send you a friend request? And me with my small mind, I'm saying, I'd like to see how you're going to do that. And you're blind. I, I said, okay, yeah, you send me a friend request. <laughs> so I walked back down to my room and my phone said, bing. And I looked at it and it was a friend request from Matt Bradford. I'm, I go back and look up there to make sure nobody was willing to send it. And um, I said, now, how do you do this? So I go in the room, I get what I'm going to get. Now I go out there and I sit back down in the same place I was sitting. I just stood there and looked at it. He said, sorry, Major, what's wrong? You act like you're confused. I said, yeah, you know I'm confused. <laughs> he said, what's wrong? Did you get the friend request? I said, yeah, how'd you do that? <laughs> but he got his phone, got Braille's or something on it that he can send and receive emails and texts. He texted and, and sent emails to his daughter every night, every day that he was going in Afghanistan. He's checked in. but uh, he is 100% blind, but he do everything that everybody else do. We had him out playing golf. We had him out shooting guns. We had him out doing, doing everything that you would say somebody that's 100% visually impaired shouldn't be doing this. But he, he want to do everything that everybody do, but he's just a great guy. And, uh, and you're going to love this story. You're going to love this story. I want to end this interview with this last question, which is, what does America mean to you? America is my heart. And it's been my heart for 62 years. I, I joined the military thinking, which I were, in need of money. And in need of a way of life, in need of trying to make myself better. But what I gained from the Army was a respect for the United States of America and its people. What, what did I get up every morning at 4 o'clock to do? I got up to protect the freedom of the American people. Why do you stand outside and watch Old Glory being raised to the top of the flagpole. You watch Old Glory raised for the respect of the United States of America. And I have been to many countries, 
many places, but nothing put a smile on my face like coming back to America. This is home. It will continue to be home. And, and people get worried about we have sometimes some trials and tribulations and things that don't go quite your way every day. But this is still the best place in the world. Amen. We are still in the United States of America. I can take you to some places, and you'll wake up every day complaining. But when you wake up in the United States of America, you get dressed, you go where you want to go. You do what you want to do. Whatever your finance and your budget allow you to do, you go do it. In a free world. And in many places, people tell you where you can go. They tell you how much food you can buy. They tell you what day you can drive. And they'll tell you you can't come out today. But this is the United States of America. We go where we want to go. We have fun. We talk to people. And, you know, and it's, well, that, that those people don't respect you. Well, do you respect them? I don't, I don't go by nobody without saying hello, good morning, how you doing? And it's nothing to speak to people. It's nothing to say, how you doing today? Are you okay? Can I help you get your grocery out your car? Can I help pick this up? Can I open that door for you? It, it's just little things that we lost over time that need to come back. There's simple things we call respect. Respect for people and respect for each other. And being here in the United States of America, people just don't know how good they have it. They, some people just don't know, and they never will know. I call the United States of America home, and I am proud as hell to be here. Tom, thank you for sharing your American story. Thank you, Tina. I look forward to talking to you again, and yes. we will continue to do to, 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 anything I can do oh. to tell a story, get people to tell a story. I'm going to help you. I'll be right here with you. Because we have a whole lot of men and women out here that love the United States of America. Thank you for spending this hour with Tom and me. His character and integrity stand out, even if only through these airwaves. Tom's patriotism for America and devotion to his brothers and sisters in arms is powerful. Tom wakes up every morning determined to help troubled vets lead better, happier, healthier lives. If you want to learn more about Tom's mission, you can find the link to Faraday's Troops First Foundation in the show notes. If you have a quick second, leave a rating and review for We the People, Our American Story podcast. Share with family and friends about the inspiring stories you hear every week. My next guest is Shiloh Harris. Shiloh was traumatically injured in Iraq 2007. He was severely burned, which resulted in losing his nose, ears, and fingers. But the one thing Shiloh did not lose was his sense of humor. These warriors are so remarkable, and I love sharing their stories with you. Come back next Friday for Shiloh's American Story. See you then.